0: moving from here to there, I think it's fair to say that whether you are a person who's grown up in church or whether you're someone maybe who is a little bit more newer to church, you've experienced hurt in your life at some point. And I know that we've all experienced things that have challenged us, things that have caused us to get stuck, things that have perhaps even hurt us and made us think differently about how we would like to move forward in life. And I think that the same is true of church, that oftentimes if you've been around church very long, you've experienced a measure of disappointment, a measure of frustration, a measure of hurt. And that's not saying that maybe there's something wrong with the church or something wrong with the leadership. Maybe, maybe there was or is in certain instances where you experienced hurt. But it could be within relationships that you had within the body could be within relationships that maybe people you went deep with, people that you trusted, people that you went really deep with in life and shared your heart, shared things that were very vulnerable and very sensitive to you and maybe someone betrayed you, someone hurt you. Whatever the case is, I, I think that when we experience hurt from people that we're supposed to be able to trust, people that we're believing the best of, that are filled with God's love, when they hurt us, when they disappoint us, it feels like it's just, there, there's just another sting to it that is present that maybe isn't present in the rest of our relationships. And I think because of that, it can be harder at times. Not always, but it can be harder for us to move forward from those things. It can be harder for us to find healing from those things. It can be harder for us to want to give our trust to someone again. Because we've been disappointed, we've been hurt, that's just reality, that's where we may be, that's where some of you may be this morning, that's where some of you watching online may be this morning, and we know, as Christians, we're supposed to forgive, we know that, so I'm not going to stand up here today and say, you need to forgive people who've done you wrong, and that's the end of the message, because I believe if you're a Christian. At the very fundamental level, you understand that, and you know at a fundamental level that you're supposed to forgive. And we know these things, but how can we get unstuck? How can we move with healing and wholeness to move from here to there? Because hurt is real, and hurt left undealt with will keep you stuck. So when it's there, it's present, it's real, If I don't deal with it, if I just sweep it under the rug, if I just pretend like it's going to go away, if I just think, oh, it's just water under the bridge and all these other things we say, time heals all wounds, all those things, well, sometimes, yeah, but sometimes, no. Sometimes we just want to just ignore the person or we want to ignore the group of people or we want to ignore the environment or the situation, so we'll create distance, between where we are now and the people we were perhaps close to in the past, or the church, or the pastor, the leadership, the small group leader, the Sunday school teacher, whatever it may be, the person I was uh, just uh, doing life with that I was supposed to be able to trust, whatever the case may be, I believe that that hurt. We need to acknowledge it, and we need to acknowledge that it's real and that it does need to be dealt with because if I don't deal with it, If I don't deal with it in a way that's going to honor God, if I don't deal with it in a way that God has instructed me to, and I just keep on keeping on in life, I will, in ways in my life that I may not even realize, get stuck. I mean, these are things like unmet expectations. Anybody ever had unmet expectations before? Yeah? You ever had unmet expectations before in church? Yeah? Anybody? Both (laughs) hands, both feet raised? (laughs) unrealistic expectations, unmet expectations, maybe even spiritual immaturity because there have been things I know that I've been offended by or hurt by that when I look back on those things, I see that part of it was maybe the immaturity of another person or maybe it was my own spiritual immaturity and I didn't see it till later in life until I had my eyes open and I just grew a little bit. Change can cause hurt, just change in general. Just any type of change, any type of breaking from the rhythms of normalcy or any of the types of things that perhaps I used to enjoy, the things that I embraced, the things that maybe actually even made me fall in love with being a part of the church, the body of Christ. When those things shift, when those things change, all of a sudden we can begin to struggle in ways that we didn't realize because it seems like if it's not broke, then why are we trying to fix it? And I like things this way and then I begin to get offended over just the very nature of change because we're struggling with the idea of things being different. Criticism, maybe someone's criticized you, or maybe you have been the the person who's criticizing others. We can get stuck in this cycle, this loop of criticism where it's almost like we seek out something to be wrong so that we can talk about it because for some reason it makes us feel empowered and it makes us feel powerful because we're able to see things from a perspective that other people just aren't quite as smart as us and we feel the need and the right to begin to criticize and we get caught in these loops or maybe we've received that criticism. And isn't this true that when you receive criticism, when you're on the receiving end of it, isn't it true that it doesn't matter how many nice people are saying nice things to you, that one person saying that one negative thing is the only thing that you think about for the rest of the day and maybe the rest of the week? Isn't that true that that happens? Everyone can come and say like all these great, encouraging, uplifting things, and one person out of like a line of 50 people says something negative, and you go, oh, I'm having the worst day of my life, and you just had like 50 people try to encourage you. It's just a a, a trick and a trap of the enemy. Uh, Poor communication can cause offense because there's misunderstandings that happen when things aren't communicated clearly. When things aren't either communicated because of unmet expectations, unrealistic expectations, or just a lack of the proper information. And often when that happens within the context of church settings, people can be offended. And this causes hurtful words. It causes us to hold on to things and hide things in our heart and we don't deal with it. Maybe a lack of transparency. Maybe there's just a lack of transparency either in your life or in others' lives that you're looking up to or looking for leadership and spiritual leadership from, and you get disappointed because of that. All of these things and more can create wounds. All of these things maybe have triggered some of you even as I'm sharing them and you're going, yep. If the answer is still yep and you can still think about something with the same uh, degree of hurt that you experienced when you first experienced that wound, it means probably you need to deal with that. If I can talk about something, this is like my my rule. If I can talk about a situation or about an individual or group of individuals or a time in my life when I received a wound and I can talk about it with the same anger and frustration as if it had just happened that day, I know I'm stuck and, and I've got an issue and I've got something that God wants me to deal with. He doesn't just want me to keep on going through life. People can still bring up stuff that happened five, ten years ago, and you would think, wow, did that happen to you last week? Oh, no, that was ten years ago, because they're still that angry and that hurt about it. Now, listen, I want to clarify when we talk about forgiveness. Christians are not called to just be doormats that everyone can just run over, okay, So don't get this idea of doormat Christianity where everybody can just treat you like garbage. That's not what we are supposed to do. We see Jesus standing up for things. We see Jesus speaking truth in love in difficult situations. And so we can stand up for things. So don't feel like that you've just got to let everybody just abuse you and treat you poorly. And that's you just being a good, faithful soldier and it doesn't mean that the things that happened to you or the things you experienced or even the things that you did were okay. It's not giving the people who offended you a pass and saying that they were right. Sometimes we feel like if we forgive someone and if we are open ourselves up to reconciliation and forgiveness, it's almost like we're admitting that what that person did or said was okay. And because we don't want to give them that, we hang on to it. And we live under this false sense of security and this lie that we believe that somehow we're we're more empowered by holding on to this thing. And we know that we've got to trust to move forward, but sometimes it can just be so hard because of the wounds of the past. But church, if we're gonna move forward as a body, as a congregation, trust is vital for us to move forward. Trust is vital for us to move forward but it takes time and I get that it takes time to build trust it takes consistency it takes a lot of grace and, and it just takes the thing that is hardest for us often to be okay with and that that's time because we want everything yesterday right like if I could have the microwave version of trust yeah let's go down that route right Even me being your new pastor, I've been here for a little over five months now. I'm going, okay, what can I do to help make an investment in the trust in this congregation because I know I don't have very much coin to spend because trust is slowly earned but quickly spent. You can get bankrupt on the bank account of trust just like that, by something said, not said, something done, not done, and it's a precious and valuable relational commodity that I take very seriously. And when I know that I'm gonna be either making decisions or doing things that are going to cost me that trust and people may go, I don't understand fully or I don't know fully, I better make sure I have enough in the bank to make that type of decision because I don't want to be relationally bankrupt. Because you are gonna do things that people don't understand. You are gonna make decisions that not everybody's gonna like and agree with, right? And you gotta make sure that people still understand, okay, I may not get it all, I may not see the whole thing right now at this moment, but there's been enough trust invested that I'm still willing to go the distance and continue to move forward. And it's important for us to rebuild trust. It's important for us to invest in trust. For the church leader, there's nothing greater than the trust of a congregation. There's there's nothing greater. And I understand that. And if God is wanting us to move forward, which by the way, he is, he doesn't want us to stay stuck. Did, did you know, let's, let's just talk about this for a minute. You remember the children of Israel who got uh, uh, just absolutely delivered from slavery. I mean, you're talking 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians. I mean, 400 years there are people born into slavery, that that's all they know, an entire generation born with the mentality of slavery and this is their reality, That's all they know and God miraculously delivers them and and Moses leads them out of slavery and we see God do all these awesome miracles and then they cross the Red Sea and God says, I want you to go to this land that I promise you. So God wants them to move from here to there and he's wanting them to move beyond what's comfortable, beyond what's familiar, beyond what they knew in the past and did you know that the journey from the other side of the Red Sea that they crossed to the promised land On foot with over one million people should have only taken them about two or three months. You know it took them 40 years? 40 years? If you look at the map, if you look at the way that they actually had to travel, it wasn't that far. But they got lost. They got stuck. They got offended. They got frustrated. They started doubting God. They started going through all these ups and downs and it cost them a lot But yet God had a a path for them. He had something he'd set up for them. And and yet all the missteps along the way were because they wouldn't obey him and trust him and they wanted to do it their way. And when we want to do things our way instead of God's way, it takes us longer to get where God wants us to go. And folks, I believe that time is a very precious thing that God has given us. Our life is but a vapor, right? Scripture says that our life is like a vapor here today, gone tomorrow, right? Right? And we need to redeem the time, make the most use of the time because scripture says the days are evil and they're getting increasingly evil so we need to redeem the time and that means that I don't want to be wandering around in the desert for 40 years because we haven't trusted God and we're still stuck in the past. I believe that God wants us to be able to move forward and get unstuck so we can move from here to there, trusting him and saying, God, what do you say? How do you want me to live? How do you want us as a church to move forward? How can we pursue and be eager, as Ephesians chapter four says, to pursue unity? Be eager to be patient, be eager to forgive, be eager to move together as one body. That's Jesus' prayer for his disciples. He said, Lord, make them one. Help them to see the importance of unity. Help them see the importance of walking together. And the only way we're gonna be able to walk together is if we're able to forgive and we're able to begin to invest in trust. And that takes patience and it takes time, but God has showed us how to do this. We must change in order to move forward. We must. It's not even an option. It's not like, well, maybe when I feel like it, well, that time has passed. (laughs) Because if it was up to our feelings and when we felt like it, none of us would have ever really done anything for God. Nobody that we read about in scripture sat around waiting until they felt like it. That's not faith. My faith is not based on my feelings and if I'm having a good day. My faith is based on the forever settled, forever true, unchanging word of God. And so if God has said it, it's my job to trust it. And how do I know that I trust it? Well, it's not just because the things I say, because remember what we learned in the book of James? That if we're just going to hear it and we're not gonna do anything with it, we're deceiving ourselves. We not only need to be hearers of the word of God, but we need to be what, help me out. All right, we need to be doers of the word of God. You all know this, I know you know this, we know this. And we have to step out in faith, not only being hearers, not only being intellectual on scripture. But being practical with the way that we live it out, that's trust and that's faith in God. So to rebuild trust as a congregation, we have to start with trusting God and trusting his word, amen? So that means if he said it, then I'm not just gonna be a hearer, I'm gonna do it. And that's what we need to do because refusing to stay stuck Here, where we're at, refusing, saying, I don't wanna be stuck anymore, I'm not gonna stay stuck. No matter if you're newer to this church, if you've been here for a long time, whatever wounds you're dealing with, whatever frustrations you're dealing with, I refuse to stay stuck, I'm ready to move forward. That's the first step, is refusing to stay stuck. Let's go over to Matthew 18, and we're gonna hang out here today in Matthew 18, so you can get really comfortable in Matthew 18 We're going to talk about a few different things that Jesus talked about. And it's, oh man, this is so interesting what happens here. And this is just so us with the response of what Jesus said and what Jesus did here. Matthew 18, let's start reading in verse 15. Jesus just got through telling the parable of the lost sheep, you know, um, he just got through talking to people about, you know, uh, humbling themselves and actually that the, the last uh, in line is actually the greatest in the kingdom of God. And so he's talking to them about humility. He's talking to them about God's value system and going after the lost sheep. And now he begins to talk to them in the context, continuing in that vein about forgiveness. Verse 15 of Matthew 18, Jesus says this, If your brother, that means a person who is of the Christian faith, someone who is a disciple, a believer in Jesus, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, then take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established. By the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Among them. So Jesus begins to talk to them about the process of forgiveness and getting unstuck so that we can care for one another and we can love one another and humble ourselves and actually serve one another, washing one another's feet, being patient with one another, being gracious to one another. And he begins to tell them hey, the first thing is if someone's offended you, go to them alone. Like, don't first go take a poll on Facebook. Don't first go text all your friends and say, what should I do? Because they did this and this and, you know, you you know, don't don't go out and tell everyone else and then say, well, I guess I'm going to go talk to them. No, first step, go and talk to them with you and them alone. That's the biblical way for us to handle this. So if we're going to trust God and not just be hearers and we're going to be doers. This is the first step to preserving unity and walking in forgiveness and getting unstuck. And if that doesn't work, if they're not hearing you and you don't feel heard, then bring a trusted, mature believer with you who can be objective, not someone who's just gonna go and try to beat them up and now you're ganging up on them, right? Go and bring someone with you. And then if they're still not listening to you, says then tell it to the church. Or I believe in our context, that would mean talk to the church leadership, spiritual leadership to where we can actually try to reach the person. And then if they're still not wanting to reconcile, Jesus said, treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. Hmm, well, that sounds like now I get to be mean to them. Wait a minute, how did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Uh, that should change my perspective on that one because I thought now I got like a good reason to be mean and to you know no he's just saying listen they don't understand if they're not willing to reconcile that means there's something missing in them understanding the gospel and understanding grace because if they're not willing to reconcile then then maybe he he didn't say they were a tax collector and they were a gentile he said we need to treat them like that so treat them as someone who doesn't fully understand the grace of god treat them as someone who doesn't fully understand the gospel message I'm still going to be patient with them, but I'm not going to expect them to respond in a biblical way. So that means I just need to model the gospel in front of them, and I try to keep the door open as best I can, but I'm not going to expect them to act like a Christian brother or sister because they've shown a pattern of not acting like a Christian brother or sister. So how do I treat tax collectors and Gentiles? I pray for them, I try to leave the door open, and I try to speak truth and love to them, and that's how you treat a Gentile and a tax collector. And then he talks about this agreement. He's talking about whatever be bound on earth, be bound in heaven, whatever's loosed on earth be loosed in heaven. This is so important because we want to make sure that we're doing what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, where we forgive those who have trespassed against us because we recognize what we've been forgiven, our trespasses. Amen. And so this is a response thing. Man, I I, I do this. And then it's really interesting what happens next in verse 21. Peter came up to him and said, "Well, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Like maybe like seven times? Like it's pretty good number, good biblical number. Good, good Jewish, you know, biblical number there. Seven is that good? And this isn't in the Bible, um, no matter what translation you have. But I'm pretty sure Jesus like face palmed in that moment. He's just like, Pete, oh my gosh, you're the worst." That's not in the Bible, but uh, Jesus is so much more patient than us, right? Because we would have been like, oh boy, you don't get it. You don't even know what's coming, dude. But Jesus gives instructions on how to forgive, and Peter immediately wants to know where the line is. Peter wants to know, like, how often do I have to do this? Like, I get it. I want to trust you, but I only want to trust you so far, I, I want you to, for, I, I, I'm, I'm wanting, you know, to, to go along and be a good soldier, but, you know, like, when is it like, okay, that's too much, like, there's been too much happened, there's been too much, and that's where I think you and I get this idea where we think, well, pastor, you don't know my story, you don't know what's happened, there's been so much happen. There's been so many things that have discouraged me and disappointed me. That's why I'm disconnected. That's why I'm uninvolved. That's why you know I'm I'm, I'm just you know have a frumpy face and and just and generally unhappy and 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 because all these things have happened to me and you don't understand. And I think that's kind of what Peter was trying to get at. Like when 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 is it okay to like you know kind of cut somebody just completely off and just like not have to forgive them and. Peter wanted to know the line just like we do because we feel like, and I think this is a lie of the enemy, but we feel like that no one would truly understand what we've gone through. And I find that so interesting because I've sat down and counseled and talked to a lot of people over my 22, 23 years of ministry as a pastor. And when I sit down with people um, one of the biggest lies that I've consistently seen people have to battle and face is that they think they are the only ones struggling or dealing with the things they are struggling or dealing with. They think they're the only ones. They think they're the only ones who have been hurt that bad. They think they're the only ones caught up in that, level of sinfulness or having those types of dark thoughts. They think they're the only person. And I sit down with people and they think our, no one would understand because our marriage is struggling with this and, and no one would want to be around us if they knew we had these types of disagreements, these types of arguments, if we treated other, each other this way. If people really knew they wouldn't want to be. And I, and, and I get to see that side of people and they always feel like they're the only ones. And I think that that is a trap of the enemy to get you to never trust in the Lord and never trust in other people and you trust in your own strength and try to fix it yourself. When can I tell you folks, you don't know what the other people in this room or that are watching online are dealing with and I know that you've been hurt and I know you're struggling, I know you've dealt with things but can I tell you so are other people and can I tell you the same answer for them is the same answer for you? Can I tell you that the same God who forgives, redeems and restores those situations and those people can forgive, redeem, and restore you in your situation no matter how dark or how hard or how difficult that it may be. How does it doesn't mean that it's all going to work out and you and all those people are going to go back to being best buds all of a sudden because you heard a message that Pastor Derek preached and I'm going to go out and do it. Woo-hoo. It doesn't always mean that because forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. You see, I need to be able to forgive, but I may not always immediately reconcile because that takes the other party wanting to forgive and make amends as well. It's like a drawbridge. It's like you can only control your half of the drawbridge. You can't control the half of the other person. You have to trust God for that, but you can control your half, and so you need to be responsible to follow what the Lord is leading and telling you to do in his word to be able to lower your half by offering forgiveness. And, and avoid the temptation... This is a little warning. Avoid the temptation to get re-offended when they don't respond the way you expect them to. Because sometimes you work up the courage, you set up a coffee appointment, or you're gonna sit down with them. You finally got the courage to sit down with them and hey, you know, you look them in the eye, you grab their hands, brother, sister, I love you and God's been working on my heart. I've been holding these things against you and I just need to ask you for for your forgiveness. And they say something to the tune of, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Or, ooh, which just makes you be like, you know, like, uh, you just like, like, I'm like, and you just smile and you go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'm the better Christian. And you just walk away, you know, like, and all that, guess what? All of that's wrong, in case you didn't know. But we do that so often. We finally work up the courage and the person doesn't reciprocate. Well, that's not right. They, they should. I'm such a better Christian. No, 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 no. Pray for them, still love them. All you can control is your half of that drawbridge, but allow that freedom knowing that you've forgiven. That doesn't mean you're always gonna reconcile, but leave the door open to reconciliation because I believe that's the message of the gospel, amen? Because Jesus didn't forgive us when all of us got our act together. He didn't say, you guys are doing pretty good down there on earth. I think it's time to die on the cross. Forgive you all because you all have all of a sudden become good enough and worthy enough for me to die for. No, the scripture says while we were enemies of God, while we were yet sinners, right? That's when he died for us. That's the gospel. And we must forgive in order to move forward. We all feel like there are certain things and we all feel like there are certain times where we should be allowed to hold on to those things because we believe the lie that holding on to those things gives us power. But can I tell you that unforgiveness and bitterness towards another person is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. That's what holding on to that is like. Withholding forgiveness does not empower you. It imprisons you. We think it empowers us because now we got something over them and we're not going to let it go till they make it Right? And we think that makes us powerful, but actually it's us going, walking into the jail, slamming the door, locking it with the key, and throwing the key beyond our reach, and going, ha, that'll show them. And we've just put ourselves in the prison, and we think we're doing something to hurt them. We think we're doing something to hurt them, because what is the old adage, hurting people hurt people? And so we, we try to hurt them by imprisoning ourselves with bitterness and unforgiveness, and then we get caught up in a cycle of gossip and murmuring and complaining and negativity. And we don't even like who we are anymore, but it's someone else's fault. But we're the ones who are still holding on to that lie. When Christ has set us free, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And whoever the son is set free is supposed to be free indeed. And then we live as a prisoner. Christ has already bought and paid for your freedom. That is us self-selecting slavery and imprisonment because we believe the lie that holding on to negativity and holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness somehow gives us something over someone. And Jesus is trying to expose the lie here because Peter wants to know what's the limit. And I would, it's a good thing I'm not Jesus, because I would have wanted to turn that back around and say, well, Pete, how many times do you want me to forgive you? That's how many times. How many times do you want me to forgive you of the same? Because how many of us have done the same goofy stuff over and over again? And what if Jesus like, gave you like seven, like a limit, right? <laughs> like a cat has nine lives, you have like seven tally marks of forgiveness. And it's like one, two, three, four, five, six. Ooh, I can't do that one more time. Oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm really close to the edge. And then you do it and you're like, no, <laughs> that's it. I can no longer be forgiven for that. And that's what Peter was asking. What a strange question, right? Verse 21, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often times? And Peter thought it was rational to say seven. He thought it was spiritual to say seven. And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, his children, and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him of the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, well, Peter, there's the answer to your question. So here's the deal. He said, "This guy owed 10,000 talents." Now you need to understand something. This is hyperbole. There's no way somebody would be able to get in debt 10,000 talents. It's an insane amount of money. I did a little math for funsies, okay? In my hand, I'm holding a replica of a leptin. If you've been around church very long, you've probably heard the story of the widow's mite. You remember the widow, she gave two mites, she gave all that she had, and Jesus said she gave more than anyone else who gave all these treasures, because she gave all that she had. That's what this coin is modeled after, is after that leptin, that widow's mite. In today's economy, the widow's mite would be worth about a buck 25, so that lady gave $2.50, and that was all she had left to her name, and she gave that to the Lord. And then Jesus honored that. So when we see this situation here, to give you a little bit of perspective, it would take 129 of these coins to equal $161, which is about the average day's wage in Bettendorf according to the, uh, the, the, the average socioeconomic profile. If you took everybody high end, low end, and you mixed them all together, that, that's about average. $161 a day or 129 of these bad boys, okay? That would take 6,000 days' wage to make one talent. So it would take you 6,000 days of working and getting 129 of these coins per day. You'd have to do that 6,000 times to equal one talent. How much debt was the guy in again? 10,000 talents? Or $966,000 according to our modern day income. And that's how much you would owe if you owed that one talent in Bettendorf. You would owe $966,000 if you owed one. But he owed 10,000 talents. So 10,000 talents would be $9,666,000,000. That's how much money this guy owed. Or I did some more fun math. 200,000 years of work. Anybody got that kind of time? Or 400 million hours if you worked a 40-hour work week. 400 million hours. The average human lives 692,040 hours. So 10,000 talents would equal 578 lifetimes. 578 lifetimes. I always think it's weird in the judicial system when someone gets like 10 life sentences. Don't you guys think that's weird? I'm not a lawyer, I don't understand why they do that. It's like, just in case you live a whole lifetime and you get a do-over, like you get to stay in prison again. (laughs) Just in case, fingers crossed, you never know. Um, But you would have to live, uh, go through, and and, and guess what, the 578 lifetimes is you working 24 hours a day, 578 lifetimes. So Jesus is using hyperbole here. He, he's, he's blowing their minds with this incredible amount that they're like, 10,000 talents. If you're a Jewish person hearing this, if you're Peter hearing this, you're like, what? And then the guy owed 100 denarii. Now, denarii was, one denarii is what you would earn in about a day. So he said the guy owed him 100 denarii which is about $16,100 based on our math that we've been using thus far. 16 grand is no joke. I don't know about you, but man, um, 16 grand, uh, somebody owes me 16 grand, I want it back. And this guy, after he was forgiven, six, I mean, after he was given almost $10 billion, and his wife and his children, they're all set free and they don't have to Be slaves instead of that he goes to this guy who owes him 16 grand and he throws him in jail until he pays him back everything that he owed and as i look at that and as i see that it it, it's it's the difference between how much christ has forgiven us and when i hold this lipton in my hand and i think about how many coins that would take and jesus was painting this picture because he wanted us to see what we had been forgiven of, how costly it was. Because he was likening the 10,000 talents to our sin. He was likening the 10,000 talents to what we've done to God, not what we've done to another person. And what we've done to other people or what they've done to us, he wasn't acknowledging it was insignificant. He He didn't say it was like if somebody owed you 10 bucks and he threw them in jail. He didn't use that type of contrast. He painted this dichotomy of still significance. So I think Jesus was saying here that I understand what you're owed is significant. I understand it's not something to just, you know, blink your eye at and go, oh, it's not a big deal. It's it, it's a big deal because when we get wounded, when we get hurt, when we get disappointed, it, it's legit. But he's saying in response to this great forgiveness that you've received, how could you not? How could you not be moved How could you not be overwhelmed to want to give what you freely received? You see, forgiveness should be most regularly practiced and modeled by the church. We should be like the best at it because of what we've received from Christ. Amen? We should regularly model this. We should regularly show the world our willingness to forgive one another, to lower our half of the drawbridge to one another. To forgive and to pursue, to be eager for unity. Here's the big idea today. Forgiveness frees us to grow. I'll let that sink in for just a moment. Forgiveness frees us to grow. Oh man, when I when I when I forgive, it's like I, I get lifted up out of the muck. I get lifted up out of the junk and now I'm I'm free. I'm free to grow now. But before I couldn't grow because I was stuck. I couldn't move past it. I, I thought I had. I thought I, I thought enough time had passed, but then something happened and it triggered me. Or I began to talk about the situation again, and all of a sudden it all just came back. And I just I got stuck all over again and I realized I thought I was free, but I wasn't. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be free. And he wants us to grow. And he wants Bettendorf Christian Church to grow also. Amen? Amen. You believe that? I believe that. I believe that. I I, want to lead that way. I want to pastor that way. I want to shepherd that way. I want to live my life as a Christian that way. I believe that this church is poised and positioned to grow. But but we've got to understand there's some heart work that we need to be sensitive and humble ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to do and stop resisting what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in us. And that heart work is that I've got to forgive. It frees us to grow. So, whether you come from another church, maybe you're carrying some wounds, maybe you're carrying some baggage, I want you to remember. I want you to remember what you've been forgiven of. The 16,000 was significant and, and, and understand what happened to you. You know, I know you may have walked away hurt, but in light of what you've been forgiven, it's time to get unstuck and move forward. Forgiveness is not always acknowledging. What happened was okay or right, but it's acknowledging that what happened does not have the power to dictate your future or the future of this church. Forgiveness is how we can be eager to seek unity like Ephesians 4 says. Forgiveness is how we can be eager to give grace, eager to be patient as one another are, are growing. And that's what God's calling us to do. And so here's what I want us to do. We're gonna worship here and we're gonna do something together as a church. And I believe it's gonna be powerful. And I want us to set the tone and set our hearts and respond to the word by receiving communion. As we begin to think about what Christ has done for us, what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you to just receive communion when you're ready. This is between you and Jesus, nobody else, okay? This is between you and Jesus. So get your communion elements ready and I want you to begin to examine your heart as scripture said and when you're ready, I want us to receive the Lord's Supper together and then let's worship, and let's take the next step that God wants us to, and I believe this is going to be a powerful moment for us to share together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Help us to forgive. Help us to reconcile. Help us to live this out. Help us to receive that message of the gospel by recognizing how great of a price you paid for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.